Coming up, we're into the conference finals in the NBA and the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs with all of them playing one game apiece. I'll recap what's going on and what lies ahead in each matchup. Can the Yankees be stopped as they continue to flex their muscles in the American League? And a major injury to a Mets starting pitcher that has everyone, including yours truly, holding their collective breath. There's also a major golf tournament taking place in Tulsa, Oklahoma as the PGA tees off today. Will Scotty Scheffler's dominance parlay to another major victory and back-to-back in the process? And the Preakness, the second leg of the Triple Crown, is Saturday with little to no buzz. Another midweek podcast coming at you with everything that's happening in the world of sports. It's all on deck, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. As we get through another midweek here with everything that's happening in the world of sports, as we take you home into the weekend, whether you're listening on a Thursday night, Friday, or some point over the weekend, glad that you've stopped by to hear me babble and quibble about everything that's happening in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me, whether going way back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Lots to get into here, obviously some playoffs, which we'll touch on in a minute, but we have the PGA, which kicks off at Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Lots to get into there with storylines in reference to Tiger, even Phil Mickelson, who obviously is not going to play, but with him being the defending champ and everything that's swirling around him. We'll touch on that later on. The Preakness, which has little to, I would say, no buzz because of what happened there with Rich Strike. And I'll also share my two cents about that later on in the podcast. Of course, all the baseball, the Yankees are not going to lose. And it looks like they're not going to lose in the foreseeable future, considering who their next opponents are. As you have the White Sox coming into the stadium and the Orioles as well. Two teams that they just finished playing. In fact, the Yankees will conclude their four-game series in Baltimore, where they've won the first three, coming off the heels of three out of four in Comiskey, or the old Comiskey, whatever you want to call it, 
They change the names of these stadiums every five minutes. So the Yankees right now in cruise control in the American League East. And now the Mets. Max Scherzer could be on the shelf for an extended period of time, but he may have prevented a possible injury getting worse, which I'll detail later on. We'll start off with the postseason in both the NBA and NHL. I'll start off with the basketball as we're one game apiece into the conference finals. And last night is pretty quick to discuss, even the night before with the Celtics and Heat. But I'll touch on Warriors-Mavericks. If the Mavericks were still celebrating or basking in the glory of beating the Phoenix Suns on Sunday night, and they did have a couple of days to let it sink in, to gear up for a trip to the Bay Area and get themselves primed and ready to go in this Western Conference Final, well, maybe they were still a part of the team thinking that, not to say that they were in Phoenix or were still basking in the glow of the 123-90 just out of nowhere smackdown in the Valley. Well, they certainly were able to get a big wake-up call last night because the Warriors, who have been down this road before, granted it's been a few years since they've been in a Western Conference Final, but with the way Luka played last night, and give credit to Andrew Wiggins, as he was pretty much his shadow throughout the course of the evening, and even though the slow start there by the Warriors' backcourt of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, but they were able to dial it back to 2015 with the Splash Brothers in full effect, where Steph Curry led the way, 21 points, also had 12 rebounds. Klay Thompson chipped in 15. I understand not a lot from the three-point line, but when the Warriors go away with a 112-87 victory, there really isn't much to discuss when it comes to any type of strategy or any type of game-changing plays or turnaround plays that you have seen there in the first game with the Celtics and Heat. And of course, I'll touch on that in a minute. But if the... Mavericks, I'm sure they're going to get off the mat here in Game 2. As we saw in the previous series, we know that the Mavericks were unable to win a game in Phoenix in those first two games, as well as Game 5 before the coronation there in Game 7. Is this going to be a carbon copy? Obviously, it's way too early to tell, but you would think in your gut, if you've watched enough basketball, and if you've watched how the Mavs have come out of the gate here in these series, would you be surprised if they go back to Dallas down 0-2? I can't say I would be. Now, it's not to say that they're going to put up another stinker here tomorrow night. That's not to say that Luke is going to get on track to where he's going to shoot the way he did yesterday. Three for 10 behind the arc, six for 18 overall, 20 points in the game. Didn't really add much as far as the rebounds and assist column. So for Luca, this was a bad game. Now, Andrew Wiggins had a very good performance in his own right, as I mentioned. Also chipped in 19 points. And if you're going to get prime Andrew Wiggins, the guy who actually started in the All-Star game this past year, then it could be some early curtains for the Mavs. But as we know, Wiggins floats in and out of these games. You don't know what you're going to expect from one game to the next. So I would think Jason Kidd, the coach of the Mavericks, they'll go back to the drawing board and find out what they could do to kind of beat the defensive strategy of the Warriors to get Luka out in the open, get his teammates involved, and come back into the series tied at one where they'll have home court going to Dallas in a game three on Sunday night. And that's all there really is to discuss about this game. Now, I picked the Warriors to win in seven. I figured a lot of this was going to be a home court series. Could I see the Mavericks stealing a game at Chase Center? I could, 
but I'm not really confident about it. Based on what I mentioned just a few minutes ago about this being a home court series and them not getting out of the gate in these games. And again, not to say that the Mavericks are world beaters despite their Game 7 success against the Suns, but I just see this going chalk here in these first two games. I wouldn't be shocked if the Mavs did win. It's come tomorrow night, but I would think Golden State will be taking a flight to Dallas there sometime late Friday night or early Saturday up to love. And now to turn our attention to the East, Celtics off of that wonderful performance there on Sunday as we touched on the podcast Monday where we felt that there was going to be some fatigue, maybe a little bit of a hangover, them the throwing the Bucks, having to come back from a 3-2 series deficit, winning a game in Milwaukee, and then the game was pretty much tight in the first half before they blew it open there in the third quarter, and it was a party going on in Boston in the second half of that game. Well, as it was, they came storming out of the gate. Not only did they have a 13-point lead in the first half, but they went into halftime up by 8-64, or excuse me, 62-54. Jason Tatum with 21 points in the first half. Robert Williams with a big-time contribution with no Al Horford, who's in the COVID protocol. And Marcus Smart, who has this nagging injury, where we hope to see him tonight. And I say we as if I'm on the Celtic team. But when we watch this game unfold and you think to yourself, wow, the Celtics have a, an opportunity to steal a game one. And again, you can't just base it on one half because they do play two halves, of course. But you felt pretty good as a Celtic fan knowing that you were up eight. You were playing rock-solid defense. Robert Williams was contributing not only on the offensive side, but also with a couple of blocks. And you felt pretty good going into that second half. And then what happened? A 22-2 run, which led to a 39-14 third quarter advantage. And the Miami Heat did not look back as they went comfortably out into the South Beach night with a 118-107 victory. Jason Tatum was thwarted in that third quarter to where he had six turnovers. As I mentioned on my TikTok feed, was giving away the ball as if it was Halloween candy. The offense just seemed to be stuck in mud. The Heat came out blazing, swarmed on the defensive end. And we've seen this narrative before with Jimmy Butler to where he's taking umbrage to some of the other players that get a lot more shine, they get a lot more publicity, and what he does is turn it into his favor to say, okay, well, I know that I'm a top player in this league, and I should be recognized, and here I am on a big stage, but it's time for me to rise above that and show and prove that I belong in the pantheon of the top players in the league, whether you're Luka Doncic, whether you're Steph Curry, whether you're Jason Tatum, whether you're Giannis Antetokounmpo. And even though Butler's a very good player, and we understand he brings a different dynamic. Because as talented as Butler is, but we don't see the natural gifts as we do when we see Luka Doncic when it comes to his passing, when it comes to his shot making. Same for Jason Tatum as far as a little bit of his playmaking, more so when he tries to attempt a three or attack the basket the way he does, and his size, his length, etc. Giannis, do I even need to go down that road? Steph Curry, same here. Right, Butler isn't going to be the great shooter that Curry is. Butler doesn't have the length and the size and the ability of Giannis Antetokounmpo. He doesn't have that court awareness the way Luka does. He's not gifted in that regard. What he is gifted is that he has that toughness. He's gritty as hell. He's a guy that you want to have in a foxhole when it comes to playing in a seven-game series. And yes, he does have ability to make shots. 
with his mid-range game. He can play back to the basket. He is a guy that will fight, scratch, and claw for rebounds. And even though he is not undersized for a two-guard, he is about what he is, 6'5", 6'6", but he doesn't play with the ability that those aforementioned guys have. He's just who he is and unique with his skill set to where does he belong in the top 10? You could argue that, but he sure stands above in times like this in a playoff series. We saw that in the bubble in 2020. We didn't see it last year. I know that team was limping into the postseason as they got swept by the eventual champion Bucks. But Jimmy Butler is a guy that you have to take serious here, especially if you're Ime Odoka in the Celtics, where you're going to have to pay attention to what he does on the court and pretty much the rest of the team feeds off of that. Whether you're Bam Adebayo, whether you're Tyler Harrow, whether you're a guy like Max Struess or even Gabe Vincent. Guys that are underdog type players, guys that are going to rally around what Jimmy Butler has to say in the locker room. He's going to lead by example. He's also going to tell them, hey, you're in the league for a reason. You're good too. You belong on the stage with me and everybody else. And I'm sure those guys feed off of that. And it goes with the Heat culture, Coach Polstra, and all the way to the top with Pat Riley and everything that he brings to the table. So, game one for each Celtics Heat and Warriors Mav was nothing really to write home about. Yes, more so for a half in the Celtic Heat game than it was for the Golden State and Dallas affair. And as we look at Game two tonight for the Celtics. Let's see if Marcus Smart comes back. And they're going to need him in a big time way. Not only to be the heart and soul and blood and guts of the team. To bring that defensive intensity. But also to bring that intangible of the defense. Maybe he'll be the guy that will guard Jimmy Butler at all times. We also know that he has better ball handling ability. At least throughout the game on a consistent basis. More so than Jason Tatum. And Jalen Brown, as we saw there, especially in that third quarter. And I'm not trying to make Marcus Smart out to be Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Pistons uh, with his ball handling and him being secure with that because we also seen him game five against the Bucks mishandle the ball on the last couple of occasions, in particular that last play at 110-107. But Smart being back in the lineup is going to be enormous. And who knows what's going to happen with Robert Williams and his health, especially if Al Horford's not going to play tonight because he's in the health and safety protocol. I think even if the Celtics go down 0-2 tonight, I still think they can come back in the series and bring it back to Miami even at 2. I'm not going to be too worried if they lose. Now, if they get blown out of the building, maybe that's something to be alarmed. And if Tatum doesn't get off, same for Jalen Brown, that could be a different story. But if the Celtics do play well, and they had a bad quarter, a very bad one at that. So if they were to be consistent if they were to be able to make some shots, but for whatever the reason, the Heat turned up the pressure and were able to stymie the Celtics for a stretch there, whether the third quarter, fourth quarter, toward the end of the game, and the Celtics get on the plane to come back home losing 110-102. Will I live with it? I have no choice, but it's not as if they end up losing 105-81 and then I have to really think like, oh, geez. Does the Celtic team have any answers for this Heat defense or for Jimmy Butler or for some of their other guys that I mentioned on whether or not they're going to be able to slow or even stop them? So I expect long series for both of them. I do think the Mavericks will bounce back, whether it be tomorrow night. I don't think so, but I wouldn't be surprised if they come back to a game five at the Chase Center, even at two as well. We've seen what Dallas has done in their home building 
throughout this playoff, especially in the last round against Phoenix, and why would I think it'd be any different this time around? And you also had the NBA lottery on Monday where the Orlando Magic has secured the top spot, and we'll see what Orlando does. There's still plenty of time between now and the draft, and we know the top players that are coming out, whether your name is Paolo Bancaro from Duke, Jabari Smith, uh, we could go on down the line, especially those first couple of picks, Chet Holmgren. So we will pay attention to that as we get later into June as the draft. Usually it's in Brooklyn here in the backyard at the Barclays. Follow that by OKC, Houston, and Sacramento. Now Sacramento had moved up based on Portland being moved down to six. So for the four Sacramento Kings fans that are out there, I'm sure they're excited to at least crack the top four. And still plenty of time to discuss that, but I figured I'd throw that out there to kind of wrap up the NBA segment. And be as it may, real quick, because generally it'll take me about 20 minutes, 25, even a half hour to get into the NBA. But now, as we're down to the Final Four, two teams in each conference going through this segment, and we're only one game in. Obviously, when we get back on the airwaves here Monday, we'll be past the Game 3, so we'll have a couple of games to dissect at that time, which will extend the NBA segment. But as of right now, with only one game in and just a couple of days between the last podcast on Monday to today, that's all I pretty much have there when it comes to the NBA. Now, to turn our attention to the NHL, each of the four series that are left have also played one game, so I'll break them down accordingly. I'll start last night and go backwards. Well, last night, if you're a Ranger fan, I know that you probably couldn't sleep and... You were two minutes and, what was it, 23 seconds away from Igor Shosturkin, the goaltender, pitching a shutout and stealing game one in Carolina. As it was, Sebastian Ajo gets the goal there late in the third period to tie the game. And I'm sure as you're a Ranger fan, you were probably thinking, all right, we won a game seven in overtime, although it was in our building, but we'll feel confident going into overtime. We'll look at this scenario as just one shift at a time. And that's how you have to play it in these overtimes because you never know if you're going to be just a minute or two in before a goal is being scored or it could be 1.30 in the morning and you're tripled overtime in, chewing on your fingernails, knowing that you have to get up for work the next day at 6.30 in the morning and you're bleary-eyed and you don't know when this goal is going to take place, but you're at the edge of your seat, you're stood up for a reason, you're totally invested. But as we look at what Carolina did last night, And the hero being Ian Cole, just three minutes and 12 seconds into the first overtime. And the Rangers, especially the Ranger fans, they're going to probably look at this game as one that they're going to remember the most if they happen to lose this series because you can't base it on one game. We understand that in any playoff series, whether it's baseball, basketball, hockey. But knowing that Carolina has been very good at home, now they're 5-0 in the postseason. And if you were able to steal that game, in the very least, you'd come back home 1-1. But now you have to get the band together again, play tomorrow night to try to get that equalizer, and then you just see where the chips fall from there. And Carolina, they're a team, as we talked about, not a lot of heralded stars, not a lot of players that you're really going to say, oh yeah, this guy or these couple of guys are on the Hurricanes. Yeah, I'm familiar with them. Yes, you're going to know about Sebastian Ajo. You're going to know about Shvetsnikov. He's the one player that, of course, you got to look out for. But again, it's not just those two guys. It's a team that could put out four lines. It's a team that is very well balanced. 
It's a team that has a very good goalie in Antti Ranta. And Carolina, for all their success in the regular season, winning the Metropolitan Division, then being familiar with the Rangers, fighting that division right pretty much down to the final week of the season. And again, if you're a Ranger fan, you got to just brush it off. And especially if you're the team, you just got to get back at it and hope that you can come back to the Garden, even at one, and take your chances from there. We know that the Rangers will have their big guns at least you would think, at the end of the day, produce Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad. You wonder about the young kids, though, and they're going to need to contribute in a big way as well. As we saw there in the latter part of the series against the Penguins, if your name is Alexis Lafreniere or even Capococco. So we'll keep an eye on that series. Obviously, it's right here, pretty much in my backyard. And then the nightcap yesterday, you talk about a shootout. The Battle of Alberta, first time since 1991. And 51 seconds into the game, Calgary had two goals in their back pocket. And you're going to think that, oh, this could be one of those 7-2 games. You may have some chippiness and some ugliness later on in the game. You did see some milling around there at the end with some roughing penalties at the very end of a 9-6 game, in fact, to where the Flames scored three goals in each of the periods. The Flames jumped out to a 6-2 lead before Edmonton came storming back. The 6-2 lead was actually halfway through the second period before Edmonton scored three goals, including a Leon Dreisaitl goal with just 39 seconds left of the second period, which added a little juice because then Edmonton scored just a minute and 28 into the third, so they came all the way back from a four-goal deficit to tie the game. And just a minute and a half later, Calgary scores a goal by Rasmus Anderson, and then they didn't look back from there. Matthew Kachuk added two goals after that, and the Flames take game one of the Battle of Alberta with a 9-6 game, and this, I would think, as I said early in the week, this has seven games written all over it. Now, could Calgary win in six? I think it's going to go minimum six, but would you be shocked if this goes right to the bitter end? Who knows? Could it even end up in an overtime, which would be fascinating, and I get it for the casual sports fan They could care less. They probably couldn't even tell you where Edmonton and Calgary is. Understood. But if you're a sports fan and you're familiar with the history of hockey, you know that one of the fiercest rivalries in the sport is Edmonton and Calgary. Going way back, obviously, from the days of Gretzky, Lanny McDonald, Mark Messier, Hakan Lube. Yeah, that's a name for you. The old Finn. So as you know, I will continue to pay attention to that. And then on Tuesday night, you had Tampa and Florida. I think the Lightning are going to prove me, and I'm sure a lot of other people wrong here, because this series where a lot of people thought Florida will get over the hump, remember they lost to Tampa in the first round last year in six tough games, and even though they got the opening goal to start the game, but with the Lightning in the third, they get three goals, and put the game away to where Florida is now scrambling, wondering whether or not that the Lightning are in their head. Because, let's face it, the pedigree, the history between these two teams, especially recent history, it doesn't matter if the Panthers were the President Trophy winners. It doesn't matter if the Panthers had the edge, maybe even coming into the series from an offensive standpoint. And a lot of people are looking to throw dirt on the Lightning grave, me included. 
And this goes back to last summer. For those who are listening for the first time, and I'm sure for those who have listened throughout the beginning of time, they know that I felt going back to when they beat the Islanders in that game seven, late last June, that there was no way they were going to be in a position where they were going to not only make it to a cup final, but win it. Not to say that I'm going to change my tune on that, but they are certainly giving me some doubt on whether or not that they're going to go back to a cup, and I really feel that they're on the verge of doing that. Now, they still have to win another seven games in order for them to get to the cup, so they have a ways to go. But right now, everything is coming up roses there in Tampa, and all I could say is that Florida is going to need to get this next game tonight in the worst way if they have any chance to win the series. Because if they go back to Tampa down 0-2, I don't think they're going to win two games there. I don't care if they were undefeated all year and had the President's Trophy. It is not going to happen. This team knows how to win. This team has the makeup. It has everything. Uh, What more can you say about this Tampa team that hasn't impressed you here for the last two years running? So we're going to definitely see what the Florida Panthers are made of tonight if they have... And I'll go as far to say that let's see if they have any guts tonight. Because you don't have a big season the way they did and had a little bit of a scare in that first round where they were down two games to one. And remember, they were down 3 nothing in game four to the Capitals. And the Capitals aren't a pushover either. I get it they were an eighth seed. I get it that it's been... In, over three years since they won a cup, actually four years now because it's 2018, and they don't resemble that same type of medal or even though they have the pedigree, but they certainly do not have that championship personality because they just haven't played on that same level the way they did when they won that cup. It was almost as if when the Capitals won, it was a big giant exhale and the piano off their backs, and ever since then, they have not come anywhere close to defending it or even playing a conference final. You got to give the Panthers credit, but that series is over and done. Now they're going to have to really show and prove what they're made of here against a team that is way better than the Washington Capitals and obviously a team that is hoisted two cups here over the last, if I count it, 20 months. And they're looking for a third here sometime in the next month and a half. And then the late game on Tuesday night was Colorado and St. Louis. And a tough break for the Blues because the Blues played well. The Blues played smart. They played tough. But it just wasn't enough. They had a third period goal by Jordan Cairo and pushed it into overtime, and if the Blues, I'm sure they were thinking, hey, if we could just somehow, some way, just like the Rangers last night, steal that game to maybe just put a little bit of pressure into the minds of a Colorado team who is now 5-0 and to start off their postseason, but it was Josh Manson getting the overtime goal for the Avalanche and put to rest any momentum that the Blues had, and you just, just have to wonder whether or not that the Avalanche will now get back to that machine-like capability to get out in front early tonight and have the Blues scuffling along the way to where they go back to St. Louis down 0-2 and you would think that the Blues won't be heard from again. I don't know if the Blues will be able to have that firepower to get themselves back to Colorado even at 2. I would think that Colorado with the way they've played 
if they do happen to win tonight, I could see them winning one of two in St. Louis. So therefore, you're going to have a scenario where Colorado is going to look for the clincher in a game five or who knows. Maybe they'll even go for a sweep if they're up three love. Because Colorado is the one team that is looking as formidable and on a mission to erase their own demons of playoff pass failures. And right now, with that win a couple of nights ago, I'm sure it was a good test knowing that the first round was pretty much a breeze for them in beating the Predators. But now, let's see what they'll do here tonight. And also for St. Louis, as they also have a team that's won a cup and have not been able to defend it the way they did, similar to the Capitals. But with Coach Craig Berube, let's see what he could dial up here tonight to get themselves even to go back to St. Louis tied at one. And a couple other notes in the league. The Islanders ended up hiring Lane Lambert, who was an assistant under Barry Trotz. So the interviewing process, if there was one, didn't really go too far. They just had to look down the bench to hire their guy. Who knows what his philosophy and what he's going to bring to the Islanders come forth next year. Still surprised that the GM, Lou Lamorello, had let go of Trotz. I feel that in my gut, and I don't know this, it's just speculation, but as I said a week ago, where there had to be a difference of opinion between head coach and GM, we know Barry Trotz plays a more defensive style, and although it did work for the Islanders in their first three years, it didn't really work this year. This game, you can have a defensive structured team, and yes, it can work with the personnel that they had. And considering how far they went the last two years in the postseason, granted it didn't culminate in winning a Stanley Cup, but as we know, you're going to need to have the horses. You're going to need to have some offensive firepower. Because when you look throughout the sport, it's those guys. And yes, we understand goaltending, and there is an element of defense that's going to win you a cup a thousand percent. But the Islanders, they have lunch pail players, they have very good players, and you need that personnel. And coaching can take you far, as it did in the last couple of years. But you got to get a guy here that's going to not only be that leader in the locker room, but is going to be a guy that the other team's going to look at and say, we need to stop player X. Is Matthew Barzell that guy? To me, he's Kyrie on skates when it comes to his stick handling. But he's a guy that other teams are going to pay attention to. But he's not, and I'm going to compare him to this one player in this regard. He's not Pat LaFontaine. I'm talking about when he played with the Islanders, not when he went to Buffalo and played with the Rangers. Uh Uh-uh. When LaFontaine was with the Islanders, especially in those late 80s teams where obviously Mike Bossy, Dennis Potvin, all the old guard was gone and it was LaFontaine's team. That was a guy that was a threat every time he touched the puck, not only because of his stick handling, but because he was a goal scorer. And this isn't to knock Barzal that he is not a goal scorer by any stretch, but he is a playmaker. And the Islanders don't have a guy like LaFontaine that is going to say, I'm going to carry this team on my back, in which he did so in 89 to the postseason, where he was scoring goal after goal after goal. And when the Islanders don't have a guy like that, where you have good goal scorers, the Brock Nelsons of the world, the Anders Lee, who's more of a heart and soul type of guy, Anthony Beauvillier, guys of that nature that aren't pure goal scorers. 
So if the Islanders can, and I don't have the free agent list in front of me, or maybe they could pull off a trade to bring a guy like that in, and we know the Islander history hasn't been great with that, even though you could say, well, they brought in Alexi Yashin, but how did that turn out? And yes, they did bring in Pierre Turgeon, but Turgeon was a guy that was more finesse. And not to say you need to have a power forward in this game, but when we look at the big-time goal scorers and the big-time players in this league, I mean, they're putting up big numbers for a reason. And that's what the Islanders need. So I don't know if it's more coaching than it is just more personnel, but Lane Lambert is your guy, and we'll see what happens with that. I just had to go off on a little bit of rant there with the Islanders. And you also had Peter DeBoer, the now former Vegas Golden Knight coach. He was released of his duties as the Golden Knights did not make it to the playoffs for the first time in their short franchise's history. So we'll see what the Golden Knights do. Who knows? There could be rumors that Barry Trotz could go out to Vegas and be the next coach. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that. Now to turn my attention to baseball, I'm going to start with the Yankees again. I know people are going to say, oh, here we go. Jay Reel's going to talk about the Yankees, and I'm sure he's going to get into Max Scherzer, obviously, which I will. And I've been on this train here for the past couple of weeks, but... How could you not? It's going express in the Bronx. This Yankee train just keeps on slugging and has pitched pretty well. And when we look at this team on a whole after today, where they'll close out their series in Baltimore and they've beaten up on the Orioles, no shock there. And we could also talk about the Yankees have beaten up on a lot of bad teams. And yes, they did beat the White Sox three out of four last week. And I talked about it at the top that the White Sox are coming into the stadium this weekend. It's going to be hot here this weekend. You're going to have Temperatures in the 90s, Saturday and Sunday. So I'm sure a lot of people will flock out to the ballpark. And yes, the Yankees have beaten up on these bad teams. But they are playing who they are going to play in front of them. And until the schedule gets a little bit more competitive down the road, which it will. But the Yankees could come away with a victory today, not only winning five straight, I believe they've currently won 20 out of 23 and they will propel themselves with a victory today to 29 and 9. If that isn't a great start, I don't know what is. They are clicking on all cylinders. It starts with Aaron Judge who had a couple more home runs two nights ago. He has 14 on the year and we talked about opening day just what was it about six, seven weeks ago where it was risky for Judge to not sign on the dotted line that eight-year, $223 million extension. But as we said then, and I'll say it one more time now, he said the hell with that. I'm as healthy as I've been. I'm pushing all of my Aaron Judge chips to the middle of the table, and I'm betting on me. How's that come to look as of May 19th? He's going to have to pressure Hal Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman into forking over if not a 10-year deal, but an 8-year deal at minimum, $300 million. The Yankees are going to have no choice. What are they going to do? He's going to have an MVP type of season or maybe even come away with an MVP and they're just going to let him walk? And what if it culminates in a World Series championship? The Yankee fans, they will run Brian Cashman out of town if Judge does all that. And as it looks right now, Judges coming up roses. And as I like to say, coconuts and palm trees kick back with the pina colada in this chair. Now, mind you, it's only 37 games. There's still another 100 and... 
25 to go. And as we get into the summer and the dog days of August, who knows if a hammy pops up or an oblique or one of those injuries that takes forever to recover from. And that's the one thing with Aaron Judge you do have to worry about. But right now, he's throwing 7s and 11s on the craps table and the Yankee brass, they're happy with what they see, but at the same time, they know that there's going to be hell to pay if Judge continues this pace through the month of May, into the summer, and then into the fall, and we'll see where the October, where it really counts, how that unfolds. And that's the one thing with this Yankee team. We could go crazy. Garrett Cole had another great start last night, and we could talk about Nestor Cortez and what they've done as far as the starters are concerned, and you still have to worry about a role Chapman in a big spot. I'm sorry. He's a guy that's going to scare me to death, especially now. He's going to walk the ballpark. He There's something between his ears that he's just not the same closer that he was years ago. But we all know that it's going to boil down to them winning 11 games in October. The Yankees could reel off a million victories. And if you remember, in the middle of August last year, maybe it was middle of August into early September, They had had a 12-game winning streak. And a lot of people thought, "Uh uh-oh, here come the Yankees. This is going to be their momentum. Did they peak too soon? Or is this going to be a team that's going to be primed for October? And what happened? They didn't even make it out of the wildcard game. So, before anybody could get crazy, especially the Yankee fan, and jump up and down to think that this is going to be their year, let's pump the brakes. Can we get at least to the All-Star break before we go, start going crazy? And that's the same for the Mets. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. And last night, you had an issue where Max Scherzer had to pull himself from a game because he felt something on his side that if he continued, it would have made it worse. And thankfully, he had the fortitude to take a step back And not try to gut it out because, as we all know, players want to gut it out. Players want to fight to the finish. I'm sure if this was Game 7 of the World Series, he would have been out there. But he knows that the big picture and his health and his age, he's not a spring chicken. For him to do that, and we'll see what the MRI comes up with today. But yes, as a Met fan, I'm not going crazy just yet. I'm not going to think gloom and doom although it's in my nature as a Met fan. But we'll see what the prognosis is. Hopefully he'll just miss a starter too. As it is, Tyler McGill is going to be on the IL himself. Jacob DeGrom, although he's on the mend, but he's still not a month away, although there's promising signs as far as his recovery goes. But the Mets are about to enter a period here where they have an afternoon game today against the Cardinals. Hopefully they can win that series after losing 2-3 or to the Mariners over the weekend. And then they go to Colorado, which has played pretty well, especially in their building, I believe. I'll take a look at that. And they go to San Francisco, who the Giants, as we know, has had a very good season. Not a carbon copy of last year, as they got off to that great start winning 107 games at the end. But the Giants are formidable, and I'm sure they want to give the Mets a little payback after the Mets beat them 3 out of 4 earlier this year at Citi Field. The Rockies, as of this moment, eh, nothing to write home about a 13-9, and 
five and ten on the road, a game under five hundred, but still, they're gonna have to go two time zones after today into the weekend and without their best pitchers because Chris Bassett is going today. I'm sure you're gonna see a mashup this weekend of David Peterson. You'll see Taiwan Walker, I'm sure, there on Sunday. And whomever they're going to bring up to probably take over Max Scherzer in San Francisco where his next start will be due on Monday. Besides that, I know when it comes to injuries in Philadelphia, Bryce Harper has a partially torn UCL. Now, granted, he's not a pitcher. He does have to throw the ball when he's in the outfield. And thank God for the DH because he's not going to be able to throw for about six weeks. So his full-time role is going to be DH from between now and then. Let's see where that tear, if it does heal, and if he does play the outfield later on this year, that remains to be seen. But the baseball landscape, pretty much status quo. I know that the Rays have tried to keep pace with the Yankees. They're six and a loss, but five and a half back there in the AL East. Toronto has not played well here as of late as they've fallen way back there in the division, nine games in the loss behind the Yankees. And Twins, they've played well. White Sox, they've lost two in a row, and they're going to come into the stadium this weekend, as I mentioned. Astros and Angels are tooth and nail there, as the Angels have now lost three in a row. So you kind of wonder if they're going to start trending backwards here, if this is going to be the beginning of the end. I can't say that. I would think the Astros will probably hang in there a little bit. But you do have to keep an eye on that, because can you really trust the Angels here? to sustain this early season success. I'm sure one of these years are going to turn around, and why not this year considering the way they've played, but who knows? Is it time for the other shoe to drop in Anaheim? We'll see how that plays out in the days and weeks to come. And the Mets still have a five-game lead, six in the division, but five in a loss over the Phillies, as everybody's under 500 below the Mets in the East. Brewers and Cardinals, as you expect, And then the Dodgers, two games out of the Padres, three ahead of the Giants as we round out the baseball landscape with more to come over the weekend and obviously for the next podcast on Monday. All right, a couple of other things before we bid adieu. Today kicks off the second major golf tournament of the year, which is being played at Southern Hills, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the PGA Championship. will tee off if they haven't done so already. It's early Thursday morning as I'm recording this, and actually as I look at the time, in about 40 minutes, Tiger Woods will tee off, and he'll actually tee off with Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy, so talk about a triumvirate there to start off a 9-11 tee with those three guys, and I don't know if that's even better than Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa, and John Rahm, so imagine if it was a three-on-three, if golf could be like basketball, boy, that would be... A very interesting match to say the least, but Tiger, obviously he's one story. We didn't hear much about him after the Masters, and pretty much late last week, there was some buzz about him taking some practice rounds and leading into this week where he was front and center there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which the weather's going to be hot here the first couple of days, and I believe into the weekend it's going to cool off. It may even be in the 60s, so who knows if that's going to Benefit the players there, at least in the early run, going from oppressive heat to mild temperatures to even cool temperatures. So you got to wonder how the course and how the weather, the change of weather is going to play. That's something we're going to have to pay attention to. 
But Tiger, he doesn't have to walk a course where it's hilly, a la Augusta. Here it's a little bit more flat. He says he feels great. He feels confident going into this tournament. To me, I think Tiger, will he be there on Sunday at the top of the leaderboard? Of course, you can never question it. But still, I think there's a lot of competition and a lot of guys that are going to be ahead of him come Sunday. And it all depends on how the course plays out. Sometimes these courses, it'll take these players to their knees. Or these golfers could go way ahead in the first couple of rounds to where you may have players that are 10-11 under. And Tiger may be 5 under. And 6 strokes behind, I guess going into the back 36 of the tournament on Saturday and Sunday could be a good thing. But if the course is going to play more for the player than it is on the other side, then is Tiger going to have enough to outlast or at least to be in competition there as we get into Saturday and Sunday? I can't say that. But we know the competition is stiff. And I think Tiger's going to make the cut, just like he did with Augusta. And we know Tiger loves playing that course, and he actually won on this course, I believe, back in 2007. But him having that familiarity, the way he does Augusta to Southern Hills, that could also be a factor as far as how Tiger plays here in these opening two rounds. So I think he's going to make the cut. I think he's going to maybe be in the mix there on Saturday, Sunday. I don't know. I can't say that. As far as Scotty Scheffler goes, he's the guy that obviously won the Masters and came in hot as a pistol. And even though he's laid low here over the last couple of weeks, who knows how that's going to translate going into the tournament today. Now, is he going to be a guy that a lot of people are going to bet on to win? I don't know what the favorite is or what are the odds are in Vegas for him to win this tournament. But can he stay hot? I think he can. But golf is a strange and tricky game. You know, it's not like a seven-game series or it's not like he's going to have that momentum from one week to the next as these tournaments, they're spread out, especially the majors. And granted that they're in consecutive months, but who knows? Scheffler loves this course, as he's been quoted of saying. I'm sure he's going to be chomping at the bit to get back out there to keep that number one status. I know you have guys like Patrick Cantlay, also Cameron Smith, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, and that's another triumvirate that are going to be teeing off today in Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, and Patrick Cantley. So I'm sure they like to throw their hats in the ring to say, well, we're just as good as the other three guys that you mentioned in those couple of pairings there. But how I see this tournament, and you can also look at a guy like John Rahm, we know that he's going to be a guy that's always going to be talked about and in all likelihood could be near or at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday. To me, it's wide open. Golf is one of those sports where, yes, you could try to come out with a prediction. And listen, I am not a golf expert to, in the very least. Yes, obviously, I know who the players are. Yes, I know their history. I know what they've been capable of doing. I know Rory had shot a 64 there at Augusta. What that will do to translate into this coming weekend, it's not going to say much. That was five, six weeks ago. But Rory's also due to win one of these tournaments. The guy that I'm leaning to is Cameron Smith, the Aussie. I know he's gotten a lot of buzz here over the last 
couple of months or so. And again, going up with those aforementioned guys. You know, it's not as if golf has two or three guys here. Any one of these guys, and I'm not even including the Will Zalatoris's of the world. I haven't even talked about Brooks Kepka. I know Bryson DeChambeau's not going to play because he's going to be out with a wrist injury. So who knows if that's going to stymie him for the U.S. Open next month, which will be Father's Day weekend. But there are plenty of other guys. Hideki Matsuyama. We don't know Phil Mickelson is here because of everything that he's been going through, and he's the defending champ. So, you know, a lot of talk here leading into this tournament is about Phil, him having all these demons and a lot that's swirling over him and his camp with this book that just recently came out with Alan Shipnuck detailing a lot of this stuff about the Saudi tour and some of the things he said about the Saudis and some gambling issues that he's had where he's owed a ton of money. Now, granted, he's made a boatload and then some of coin over the years and a one Phil Mickelson, but him having to lose a few sponsors along the way, which are, I'm sure are huge, and who knows to the depths of these gambling issues that he has if he does have a major problem. And he's had to overcome a lot, especially with his family, where his wife had a health issue a few years back. So Mickelson's taking some time. And good for him. Hopefully he reevaluates what's going on in his life and what's important. And he's going to have to face the media at some point. You'd only hope that he's going to be open, honest, transparent, and just lay it all on the line. And people will say, well, Jay Reels, he doesn't have to do that. Well, the only reason why I say he should is because then he doesn't have to answer these questions ever again. He doesn't have to get deep into his personal life, but he could say, yes, I do have some gambling issues. Yes, it's impacted myself, my family, but I'm working through it, and that's... All I'm going to say about it. If he says that, then all right, great. But if he's going to deny that he has a gambling issue or all know that's erroneous and then everything comes out later on where a guy's going to say, oh no, he owes me this. Oh yes, he blew 500,000 on betting Super Bowl 56. I don't know. This stuff could come out later on. So that's something that we're going to have to wait and see when the time comes that Mickelson addresses the media. But with that aside... I think Cameron Smith, again, this was all a crapshoot. You could talk about the hot golfer. You could say Scotty Scheffler. You could say John Rahm. You could say the guys that will always be near the top, it seems, for every one of these tournaments. But I'm going to say Cam Smith is going to be a guy that's going to win Sunday your PGA Championship for 2022. And then you have the Preakness on Saturday, which has, to me, no buzz. The owner... And their camp of Rich Strike withdrawing them from the Preakness, which who's going to watch? If anything, I'll make a mention of it on Monday, but please. And I had a theory on this. I talked about this on Monday. I feel as if they have a strategy, okay? They didn't think that the horse was going to race. And when the horse did race, and who knew that an 80-1 to horse was going to end up winning the Kentucky Derby? So how they feel is if, we hit the mother load. We could withdraw and pull this horse from the Preakness because of this regimen and the training program that we have for the horse with rest and everything else. And then we'll bring him back for the Belmont there in the first Saturday of June. All right, that's fine. But my theory is, is that why not try to chase history? If this horse is so good, even at 80 to 1, why not run him out there for the Preakness? And I get it. They do have 
trainers that are looking after these horses or this horse in particular, and they can't just automatically throw them in there two weeks later, knowing that if they were to run this race, and let's say if Rich Strike came in fifth or came in last, that they probably would have still went along with the training regimen and we'll see you at the Belmont. But now that the horse won, why not have a shot for history? Why not put him in there and see what he could do? But my thinking is, is that if he were to run this race and end up seventh, even fourth, because if he's not in the top three, people are going to think, ah, this was a one-hit wonder. And obviously they don't want the stock and the recognition that this horse has received based on his derby win to then have its star start to plummet. But we're going to see at the Belmont because that is the longest racetrack out of the three. And if he comes first or in the top three, then hey, maybe this was a horse that had the potential to run a triple crown. Obviously, we'll never know, but maybe they were right and putting a pause to this horse and then running him here to the point where maybe he could end up winning a Belmont. And it's just all kind of scenarios that we could think in our head. And to me, I feel as if, and I'm not a horse racing trainer in the least, but come on, 80 to one, give the horse a shot here. Try to make some history, get some juice, some buzz. The sport needs it. It's getting slaughtered by yours truly by the treatment of these horses what we've seen throughout the country, and I just don't want to see this horse flop, I think, but anyway. That'll do it, my good people. Another podcast in the books, as always. I appreciate you guys and gals who follow me and have followed me, whether from the beginning, in the middle, or just recent, to tune in, to get your source of sports from yours truly. It is not taken for granted, in the very least, And I hope you keep coming back for more. I'm here every Monday and Thursday for your pleasure to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis on everything that's happening in the world of sports. And if you haven't done so, please contribute to the podcast in a couple of ways, but more so by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review so we can increase the visibility for all the other podcasts that are out there to say, hey, who's this J Reels podcast? He's getting a little publicity here. I could certainly use it, so if you could do so, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, praise, a suggestion, you could do so at the following. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. Facebook, the the J Reels Podcast fan page. And then the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com is the email address. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And lastly, if you want to put forth your hard-earned money, to this endeavor, which 100% will go to the upkeep of the website, production, equipment, etc. You could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N. Whatever you want to put forth with hands clasped, I thank you for your contribution, whatever it is that you want to put forth on a monthly basis. As I get some traction with that platform, I will put up some exclusive content just for my Patreon listeners. Uh, You won't see it on any social media account or on the website or obviously on a podcast. So once I get some traction there and I'll keep you guys and gals abreast of that, because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. I show up not just once a week, but now twice a week here going back 
since the first week of April. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. This is what I love to discuss. Games, players, outcome, strategy to critique, to praise, thoughts, opinions, analysis on anything and everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Rails podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South East, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J-Rails podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>